Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Niall Pretorius, who's the CEO of DRD Gold. This is on JSE and also on the NYSE. We talk about uh, achievements for 2020. Obviously, numbers look great, uh, but time moves on and we get into where the growth story is coming from, why the apathy in the market with regards to the uh, share price and the wider macro uh, golf thematic. Uh, if you want our thoughts on the conversation, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Uh, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There are commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, including gold, uh, plus training courses to help you with the diligence process. We do summaries of interviews to save you some time because we know you're busy. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse, you can go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. I think you will love it. Niel, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you doing? All good here, all good this side of the pond. Um, so you, you locked up down in South Africa? Well, we, we have a lockdown, uh, but it's, it's not quite as restrictive, I believe, as what we're seeing on, on international news. So we, we, get to, we get to do business. We, we have some sort of a social life. Um, and of course, we've got our weather, so we can go outside. So it, it's okay. I think, relatively speaking, it's okay. Has it affected business? It did initially uh, during the initial stages of lockdown, more along the lines of, of how we had to change, I think, some of our habits, some of our protocols, make sure that we don't expose our staff. Um, lately, not so much. Uh, lately, it's more a matter of being sensitive in terms of the impact that the lockdown may have had on people around us uh, within within the social context. But um one or two issues with regard to supplies. I think supply lines may have been disruptive on steel and, and some of the chemicals and so forth. Nothing critical, but it's something that we you to keep your eye on it. Uh, but other than that, um, not, not not a heck of a lot uh, in, in in terms of, of our, our business. We you know we, we're not in hospitality, we're not in tourism. Uh, we don't have a model that uh, that has uh, you know, lots of people gathering. We, we mine tailings, we recycle tailings, and we do it mechanically. So social distancing is very much part of, of, of our model, part of our profile. So, so we've been, been exceptionally fortunate. Do you think there's anything that you will retain? Like, let's assume we managed to get deal with COVID, and I, I guess it's never really going to go away, but we'll have to live with it. But is there any, any of the new systems and processes that you've implemented that you would probably keep? Yes. Um, Look, the, the model itself, uh, the makeup of the, the business is such that it really helped us through this crisis uh, because of automation, mechanization, uh, you know, non-technology. And, and I think we, we've seen how investment in the right sort of technology, how that uh, enhances the resilience of the business, how it just positions the business to deal with, with the unexpected. So, so I think what we would want to do is uh, we would want more of that. We haven't taken full advantage of the the benefits of technology. So there's a big focus in the business now to to do more of that, to take our the collection of data and the processing of information uh, deeper into the organization. There's a lot of information that's being processed and analyzed and, and discussed on a daily basis at the at the plant itself, at the reduction works. 
but I think we want to push it deeper into the organization on both ends, both on the deposition side and also on the uh, the actual recycling side. Yeah, Ben, well, we'll talk about the technology um, component in a second, if we may, but kick us off with that one minute overview of your business and I'll pick it up with some questions from there. Yes, no, certainly. So coming out of uh, the hard lockdown phase, which was uh, uh, up until about April, May of last year, we obviously systematically then started re- uh, increasing volume throughput again. Uh, and and it, uh, it it came together quite nicely in the, the last six calendar months of last year. So we brought out results in of December for the half year, and, and they were very, very good. We managed to maintain uh, good production throughput. We we're trending towards the uh, uh, the, the upper uh, range of uh, of the guidance that we provided, which is north of about 185,000 ounces for the year. And and because the gold price was up quite a bit, it was up probably 40% year on year. Uh, the revenue line was just was just unbelievable. Uh, that enabled us to um, set aside a bit of money for an interim dividend. So we paid 40 cents per share. Uh, at the end of December, which is the, the 14th year without interruption that, that our companies paid a dividend. And then, of course, there's also quite a bit of money going back into the business in terms of capital investment, uh, in terms of uh, further enhancing systems, building capacity, extending life of mine, developing the second phase of our operations on the, the Sabanya uh, stillwater footprint. Uh, so, so it's really positioned as Quite well uh, to to do the things that we need that we want to do and that we need to do in order to to take full advantage of our whole body. Yeah, to optimize the. Yep. Well, there's a, there's a lot you're kind of getting into there, so which we'll want to unravel during the conversation. Uh, let me start with the macro here at the moment because um, you had a studying uh, you know for this uh, interview really hard to work out what was going on. Your your shares are double what they were a year ago today. So that's fantastic. But along the way, you hit, I'm going to use dollars here because you're listed on the JSE and uh, New York Stock Exchange. Um, you were at 1770 and you're down at what, 980 at the moment. So, so you're down to 55% of what you were at the peak. I mean, what was going on last year? Because I can't work out whether you, you're going to tell me you've had a good year or uh, you're un, unhappy with the current valuations. So what is it? Yes. Look, I, I think, I think the, the market was for a period, they're not convinced that the transaction that we had done with the Sapanja Stillwater was really the best transaction. With, amongst the commentary, uh, the, those uh, providing commentary on the transaction here in South Africa, doubt was expressed as to our ability to develop the project, etc., etc. The project was was everything that we had hoped for and more. So when the numbers started coming through, I think we saw those who, who followed the company getting into the stock more and more. So off a, off a very, very low base, um, uh, I think the, the numbers, the early numbers started providing better support to the company or to the share price. Then obviously the gold price rallied and the share price went up even more. Uh, then some of the, well, one particular index fund came back into the stock. Uh, that provided a whole lot of additional liquidity. They came back, I think, when the share price was about 15 rand up from five rand a year earlier, uh, or a few months earlier for that matter. Um, and then COVID hit uh, and gold price went up even more. So I think gold shares probably had a bit of a, a Bitcoin phase there for a period of time where people thought, well, you know, we're going to lose out and the gold price is just going to carry on and never turn back again. So maybe it was overbought a little bit. Uh, 
I know, and I, I remember that when our share was turning it up about $17, as you mentioned, that I was I was wondering, so how are we going to sustain this based on our valuations? Uh, this is really trading taking place on the assumption that the gold price is going to go up by a lot more. Uh, it's retreated a bit. It's probably retreated more than, than I think we can support in terms of production throughputs and, and just the results uh, of the business. Um, but then again, you know, maybe the same sentiment that drove it up also pulled it down a little bit in the sense that at some point the market started losing confidence in gold price um, and, and they started getting out of gold price and into other funnies like cryptos, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not quite sure. Um, I do get a sense, though, that the share is not being sold down in, in anticipation of a further decline in the gold price. So maybe globally the market is sort of, you know, come to the conclusion or is marking time in terms of where is the gold price going to go next. But we're not seeing strong opinions being voiced at the moment in terms of either the downside or the upside in gold. So maybe gold is marking time a bit and maybe the market's taking a look at the stock and saying maybe it has been a little bit oversold. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'm more comfortable with it uh, where it currently is. Um, and if the gold price does go up, I think there's a lot of upside again uh, because the company is churning out quite a bit of uh, cash uh, and maintaining solid margin uh, at, at these levels. Do you think that the way that, I'm going to talk about retail here on the institutions, the way that retail is influenced now has changed. And we've seen some recent events with, you know, the GameStops and Silver Squeezes and, you know, different, different ways that retail is influenced. Plus, we've got a lot of generalists coming to the mining space because, you know, gold saw that or precious metals generally saw that rip at the end of last year. And it, you as a company need to work out how you talk to the market again, because it, it used to, it, it feels, it feels like a different place at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Um, maybe one of the reasons why some of the gold pools have gone quiet is that if you were to, if these dynamics, if what's happening in the world, now, was happening 20 years ago. The gold price would probably have been double what it is at the moment, you know, with uncertainty in terms of, of, of uh, oil production and, and energy. Um, the, the amount of fake liquidity, the amount of fake money just streaming into the, mar into the markets with, with, without, any, without any reservation. If we, we need $1.9 trillion to send everybody a, a $1,400 check, then, then we just... We just imagine that it's there and, and, and it sort of appears. The, the, the underlying support for fiat currency is just no longer there. And so these sort of dynamics, I think, a few, not, not many years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, would have feel the gold price like, like no other. But there are so many different investment options nowadays. And as you, you pointed out, the, the, you know, the, the Reddit thing, I mean, <laughs> there they were really just trading the, the exposure um, of the... Um, of the shorts and, and you have unlimited value because the harder you make it for them to get their shares back, the more they have to get their shares back or else they, you know, their losses are going to go from, from 1 billion to 200 billion. So, so, so these are new dynamics and you have new investment themes coming through. You have ESG that, that plays a, an important role. You know, we, I suppose we live in a bit of an alternative reality as well. We're having this conversation uh, on a digital platform, like we're sitting at a table. Uh, so, so maybe our sense of reality has also changed a little bit. Maybe our sense of values changed a little bit. I, for the life of me, still cannot figure out 
what is a Bitcoin? You know, show me what it looks like. Where is it? Uh, what, what makes it? How is it going to disappear? Can it disappear? I don't understand these things, but with, with lots of other people seem to, to understand them and, and, and they're trading them. And so I think there are just so many more dynamics nowadays that impact, that impact our perception of, of value. We seem to have accepted that, that governments or central banks are credible and reliable sources of capital. You don't have to go out anymore and, and add value through sweat and investment and effort and intellect. You, you can just say it's there and, and it just appears. So amidst those, I think sentiment, uh, the, the trend at the time, you know, all of these things play, play a big role. What we try to do is make sure that we manage our costs that we invest capital in the right sort of projects. Because we do know that at some point or another, the sentiment in terms of gold will turn very bullish again. It will also turn very bearish at some point, and that's why we need to manage our costs very carefully. But when once it does turn bullish, the cycles have become shorter, the amplitude has become so much wider that the potential value add for the shareholder who's wake up, who follows this thing carefully, and who gets his timing right. And I know that's a horrible word within sort of the investment uh, uh, space, but you, there's, there's enormous upside if you're just smart about these things and if you just uh, if you have a system. And, and I, I suppose, you know, what we do in, in order to sort of say to the world, it's not really all that different. Value is still value, is we pay out a dividend. If we make money, we give it to the shareholders. So some things never change. If there's surplus in cash, then you'll you'll have some of it. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, appreciate what you just said, actually. Um, but it's, it's quite interesting to me that you know people like the the, the gold bugs of gold three thousand have gone very very quiet because that I think the expectation from them was that gold would keep running past two thousand up to three thousand in in short order. But it, it and maybe this is a temp, temporary reset. Um, and may, maybe one that we needed to see because I think the euphoria was, was getting a little bit out, out of hand. So, but whatever the case, it seems to me the narrative is very confused and there's no real certainty. And I, I say this regularly that, you know, people can argue both sides of the case as to what's happening. And you'd have to nod your head and go, well, yeah, both of those seem perfectly reasonable, even though they're diametrically opposed because no one knows. You've got to get on with the business of running your business and looking at your numbers. You're doing that well. You're producing more gold. You're making more margin. Uh, you've, you had a good year last year, but do you think you're perhaps suffering a bit here because people are just seeing you as a dividend stock and not a growth stock? Well, uh, to an extent, uh, some maybe. Um, you know, whether people pay much attention to whether or not we're going to grow, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. We we're trying to get the message out. We're trying to explain our, our relationship with our parent. The Banya Stillwater is opening up, and in our view, a whole host of new opportunities. You know, they're not only a very large gold producer, but they're also the world's the largest PGM producer in the world. And there are lots of tailings in that regard as well. So, so we're making sure that we stay very close to Sabanya Stillwater. We, we're having conversations and, and uh, um, in, in order to make sure that we are positioned properly so that as and when the opportunity for, for this sort of thing comes along that we that we're right there. Um, and yes, there's there's the the the, uh, the growth opportunity. Uh, I think at the very least concerns that the market may have had in the past that this is a stagnating company with a single asset that is sort of just you know eating itself. 
hopefully those fears are, are gone and, and maybe that's why we're seeing support for the stock at a different level. Um, at the moment, though, what, what we're really trying to do is to, is to, to make sure that we, we do spend capital in the right places so that we can take full advantage of our old body and so that the shareholder who, who persists, who sticks with us, uh, invests at the right time, that he, she's positioned to take advantage of, of the next super cycle. And as I say, you know, in my view, it seems as though these things are happening uh, at a much uh, more regular frequency. Um, but yes, we, we, we are well positioned for growth. We're definitely very well positioned to optimize our current asset base. We've got an excess of 2 billion rand in the bank. Uh, and, and some of that's going to go into uh, the, the building out of the volume capacity of the asset that we acquired from Sabanya Stillwater. And we hope to start with that within the next 12 months, uh, construction-wise. So, so that adds to the profile, that adds to the, the life of mine and the period of time over which we can provide exposure to movements in the gold price and hopefully continue to pay a dividend. Right. Well, so let's kind of, again, break that down a little bit. You've got cash in the bank. You've got zero debt. You've got a massive asset, which she, well, you run a very tight ship with, with regards to tailings and processing of gold. And you've got Sabania Steelwater, um, there as a, as a, well, owner, I guess now, um, of the business. So they have a lot of potential projects and assets that you could, you could work on. You said that you do have growth potential. Can you just talk me through what that looks like? Because people want a sort of sense of, because sitting at $850 million market cap, growing pains, uh, you know, so the, sorry, the ability to grow gets harder and harder. So what are you projecting? So there's both organic growth in terms of increasing our volume throughput at, uh, at the, the one particular project. Obviously, there's also extending life of mine, which is not immediate production growth, but it's an extension of period of time over which we're going to be mining, hopefully at more or less the same rate as when we hit um, a steady state. But then in terms also of, uh, if you were to look at the, the transaction that we did with Sabanya Stallwater, which was uh, a good project, but within the context of Sabanya Stallwater, the market attached very little, if any, value to this combination of assets. By bringing it into a separate brand, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Sabanya Stillwater uh, established control over the company, it's still separately listed and it's a separate brand. The market could now, for the first time, I think, attach a value to it. They could model the asset and they could bring that into the market capitalization of the business, into the valuation of the business. If you rewind then and look at the, the body of shareholders in DRD Gold prior to the transaction, they benefited to the extent of this value add and there was it was a, it was a very significant multiplier. So instead of you know, earning a hundred percent of a $120 million company, at one stage they earned, um, 49.9% of a $1.3 billion company. So, so, so the, the, uh, the value add was undeniable because the right asset had been brought into the brand and had been given market exposure. On this one, you still to side as well. The, the argument applies equally. An asset that that uh, was not given a lot of value by the market became 50% in a $1.3 billion company. It's retreated quite a bit now, but it's still $400 million of something that was in the past. Understanding the fact that it was a project, really, in terms of balance sheet, 
a, an environmental liability. That was the extent to which value could be recognized before the asset was in fact developed. And, and this makes sense to do something similar makes sense if the opportunity presents itself. So, so we're very keen. And it's a conversation that's being, uh, that, that is, that is well received by our parents. And it's a good conversation that we're having in this regard. We're very keen to do something similar in terms of the other metals that they're involved in on, on the PGM side. But it's early days yet. You know, gold is an established industry. The mines where we got involved in have been around for half a century. PGM is, is a, it's a far, more, far more recent uh, industry. So it, it's going to take a while, but you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, and I think we really want to try and see if we can do something similar. That, that's the one aspect. The, the other aspect is we find that increasingly we are being brought into the conversation, the Sabanya Slowwater conversation on ESG. Uh, remember that, that, that our company um, adapted sustainable development as a core strategic value, uh, informing our, uh, the deployment of capital, the, the deployment of people, the way that we looked at everything that we did. Sustainable development was, was core, and, and it had to be. Uh, if we didn't, we wouldn't have been able to, to really produce gold where we do, which is the largest city in sub-Saharan Africa. We produce gold. We, we recycle material where people live, where they work, where they sleep, where they play. We are their next-door neighbor. So if you do not have an environmental sensitivity and a very clear strategy on containment, restoration, rehabilitation, if you do not do something that adds value to society, and in our area where we where we operate mostly impoverished uh, communities, if you do not do something that, that that adds to the quality of their life, that that brings a slightly different dimension into you know, how they experience life, you're not going to be around very long. We have very large tailing stamps. The governance regime that is being uh, that, that, that's, a, that's an important conversation. Now an investor, investor conversation globally. When should we be investing in companies that have large tailing stamps? Um, and, and, and unless we are certain that the controls around those tailing stamps in terms of safety and integrity and impact on the environment are, are sound. Those are important conversations. So these themes have now sort of found their way into a new concept, into ESG. Uh, and Investors today lead with those questions. Where five years ago, six years ago, when we started talking about social capital and environmental capital, when we shared details of our social dividend and our environmental dividend, I remember that those who bothered to attend our presentations, that conversation starts and they look down at their, at their cell phones and they start, you know, looking at pictures or, or sending and receiving emails. Nowadays, they lead with that question. Tell us more about your ESG. Um, and I think we, because we, we have a, a well-established factual basis for that conversation, our conversation in terms of ESG is a, is a, a nuanced adaption of, of, um, of an existing narrative. We've been doing this for such a long period of time that it just seamlessly slots into what, what is required in terms of ESG. Now, I do believe that just as much as, um, uh, you know, financial dividend appeals to certain investors and a growth dividend appeals to certain other investors. The fact that we, that our focus is to fix areas that have been decimated by mining or at the very least have been treated differently 
by mining and where the mining legacy, environmentally speaking, is less than ideal. And because we have made it our business to get involved in the lives of the people around our operations in a very particular way, we unfortunately can't give everybody everything they want, but we do get involved in terms of very specific programs. Um, I think there's, a, there's an investment theme developing around that as well. Uh, where people want to see at least that before they would uh, commit their money. And some of, for some of them, it might be enough to only see that. Um, so, so, so we believe that, that those are themes that we, in collaboration with our parents, can develop and that that might also open up new opportunities in terms of almost becoming kind of a service provider. So this is how I foresee our growth going forward. There are certain assets which we would want to own as part of our portfolio, and there would be an unlocking of value, hopefully similar to what uh, happened at the Far West Gold operations. But then there are certain other areas where our system, where our approach, where the way that we look at and develop projects could be brought into other corporations almost as a service. And that might be the way that we can also internationalize the business. So owning the asset or providing a service within the context of restoration, rehabilitation, recycling, you know, what you can do to your balance sheet, but also socially and environmentally. I think those are those are two interesting, uh, but but dynamic, potentially uh, dynamic themes that we can develop towards growth. Right. Let's can we talk about that more? Because there's in a very meaningful way the your ESG approach and um, the way that you are. Um, you know, talking to or being talked to by Sabanian Water is, is kind of admin to me. It, but you need, it's essential admin because you need to do those things to um, have permission to talk to me because I'm interested in the fact that you're doing things the right way. But at the same time, I'm also interested in how are you going to grow the share price here? Because that's how I make money, right? So I can come along for the ride and feel good about myself, but I'm not going to make money. So Talk to me specifically about, you know, what is the size of the opportunity? What is the speed at which you move? And we know you've got cash, we know you've got no debt, and you've got a great partner. But how, how do you deliver something meaningful for me, which is my ability to make money? Yes. Look, um, obviously, you don't want to create expectations that you can't deliver into. But if you're looking at the opportunity simply from the perspective of the sheer size of the footprint locally, in terms of the metal that we now want to develop into, that we want to get involved in, namely PGM. It's a 90-kilometer long belt. There are hundreds of millions of tons of material there. Now, obviously, we can't get in initially and take the whole lot and say, boom, you know, this is, this is all ours. It's going to happen incrementally. But that's, the, that, that, that's, the, that's how far the horizon is away from us. That, that's the size of, of the potential. Uh, I, I would imagine that one would want to get involved uh, you want to crawl before you start walking and you want to walk before you start running. Uh, and, and I think this is how we would want to do that because there's also a very particular way that we want to get involved in these assets. We've developed a, a value system over time. It's one that's very closely aligned with what I believe the value system is in, in Sibanya. You know, Sibanya talks about our mining changes lives. We've been saying for a very long period of time, we want to enhance the quality of life for people living in and around the communities where we live. And we do that both on the environmental and on the social aspect, social side. So there's, there's solid alignment of values. But we want to make sure that we, if we are going to be in control of an asset or of a, of a, of a footprint, that we can do it properly. 
that we don't that we don't become an embarrassment and rush into things prematurely. Something that's been an important uh, filter for us when it comes to the acquisition of assets and growth, and maybe that's one of the reasons why for a very long period of time our growth was, was rather modest, um, is we, we don't want to have too much of a dilution of, in fact, we want to avoid a dilution of net cash flow per share. We're a dividend-paying company, so net cash flow per share for us is a very important um, strategic consideration for, for anything that we do. Now, admittedly, if you buying something and there's going to be a two-year development period, there might be a short-term dilution, but it's going to be very finite. And we want to get back to um, to uh, um, proper cash flows and, 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 and sort of reverse the dilution uh, in, in a very short period of time. Um, so, so yes, I think you know, the, the, the size of the, of the opportunity is immense, but the rate at, what we, at, at which we could do it, I think it's going to be measured and and uh, at least initially conservative. Okay. Um, I guess we'll hear more over the, over the coming months as to how you progress there. There's, there's so many areas I want to talk to you about because, like I said, it's a really well-run business. Um, there's a lot of quite new initiatives, too, around the technology. Technology helps you identify how you can shave costs and save costs and understand more about what you've got. You, you talk in the presentation about the use of, of big data. So where are you with that? Because that, that excites me. Yes. So te- technology is definitely being pushed into the you know the more remote corners of the business as well. I'll talk a little bit about just the the, the metal side, the production side, but then also a bit about health and safety and security. So we've developed a system internally where um, we refer to it as the, the non-negotiables. The non-negotiables are monitored in the plant on a per second basis. So you never get a report from somebody who, you know, every second or third hour would go and take a sample of something. Everything has been sampled on a per second basis, and you would look at a trend over time. And we've developed a system that that uh, that tells us exactly where each of these key parameters are, each of these key drivers are at any given point in time, and they need to within range, be within range, and, and that's how you keep your business in a stable state. If you are if you are removing 180 parts per billion then your system is going to be very, very uh, well set up in order to maintain steady state. Uh, just over 2 million tons a month of material that's processed, out of that 180 parts per billion is the product that we ultimately deliver. Um, the, the, the recipe has got to be well understood, and you need to make sure that your setup is such that you can maintain everything within range. Now, this is within the plant, and it's mostly the line of sight dynamics like your densities, like your carbon content, cyanide content, um, um, uh, dissolved oxygen, et cetera, et cetera, flow rate, um, temperature, pressure. Um, now, what we want to do is collect similar data deeper into the organization to see how um, a, a subtle variation between the combined contribution from two different sites over a period of time may impact on those efficiencies. And, and this is where the big data thing is going to start coming in for us. So deeper into the organization and into, over a longer period of time and, and see what the data tells us. And hopefully that can help us to, to improve recoveries even a little bit more and to provide a level of steady state that is slightly better than the level of steady state that we currently have. If everything that you do over a period of 30 days is multiplied by 2 million, the tiniest improvement 
can have a, make a big difference. We measure our recovery into the third decimal. So we don't produce gold at, 19, at, at 0.19 gram or 0.2 gram a ton. We produce gold at 0.164 gram per ton. And next month, it'll be 0.143 gram per ton. Those are the variables we, that we want to measure that. In terms of just technology and surveillance and so forth, both socially and from a health uh, perspective, from a security perspective, technology is enabling us to have fewer people that are exposed to crime and criminal activity deployed on site and uh, because we're making use of, of more sort of remote surveillance. Now remember that we recovering material from sites that are up to 40 kilometers away from our plant. Many of these sites are remote areas, it's dark. Now you have a security uh, member of, of your security team at three o'clock in the morning with a radio, a torch, and he has to rely on what he can see and what he can hear to, to see if there's a threat. Now, now we've been able to, to substitute that and take that same person and make him part of a reaction team. And, uh, and, and, and that sort of risk is now something of the past. It also assists us to be both, I think, appropriate and proportionate in our response to the type of criminal activity that is perpetrated against our company. So, yeah, and within the context of human rights and being fair and being balanced in everything that you do, that's an important component because you've taken the anxiety out of, uh, out of all of that. Now, those technologies are capable of being integrated into both operational surveillance and also the value that we would want to bring into society. Data is going to be one of the key empowerment agents in South Africa. And we want to bring data into the communities where we're already assisting with poverty alleviation and youth education. Access to data, access to educational programs, et cetera, et cetera. The same technology that we use for, say, security and operations could also play a role in that. And it, I think it would be the platform for, for other sort of partnerships, for data providers, for educational institutions, et cetera, et cetera. But self-empowerment is the way to go for South Africa, and I think we want to be a catalyst in that regard. We want to go one step further from mere poverty alleviation and a cleaner environment, and we want to bring real value add in terms of skills development, education, and equipping people for what's out there. Less of a dependency. I mentioned to you earlier that I thought that you know, politicians internationally didn't do themselves any favor on how they dealt with COVID. People need to start thinking independently. But in order to do that, you cannot be dependent on a politician. And the way you know, to get past that dependence is to be equipped to go and do something for yourself, by yourself. That's where knowledge, data, information, education plays a role. And we are so keen uh, to, to get involved, more involved in that. So, so we're giving some, a lot of generic phrases there. Give me some actual real life situations that you're talking about. I get the education bit. I, 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 can, I think I can understand that. But what do you mean the data, that the data is going to help people? In what way? What data okay. are you talking about? So, so at the moment, we employ a number of, so remember our footprint is, is more than 100 kilometers. There are so many schools in our area of influence. So we employ number of school teachers they're on our payroll we haven't built any schools just you know too big an area too many people but we've employed a number of school teachers who offer classes in mathematics and science and accountancy to these are extra classes to people preparing for matrix in i think seven or eight schools if i'm not mistaken in our areas now obviously you can only have that you can only benefit from that program if you have direct access 
<coughs> excuse me, to that teacher. By creating these data points, by making data available, we could make our own teachers, teaching staff visible to a broader, uh, a broader audience. But we can also go to some of the, some of the, um, uh, established educational institutions. Everybody wants to play a role in terms of social value. You go to a good school, you know, your marks were the best in South Africa for matric last year. How about you, uh, allow us to, to do a program on mathematics or on English or whatever, biology. And we will broadcast that into our community because we've provided this data access point. And we can partner with the data provider so that people can log in. And by registering, and obviously you want to keep track of this, they could then have access to teachers so-and-so, you know, who is a, a very good science teacher or math teacher. I think that is the sort of thing that we want to do. What we're also finding is that, you know, uh, the, the BBL program, the broad-based library program that we have, have uh, three key components, um, and, and two of those are business skills and life skills. And we, we're reaching a limited audience because you've got to be, you've got to be there, you're going to be physically there. But it's a powerful program. It's such a good program. If we could uh, deliver that for a virtual platform through data access, I think it'll make a big difference. Imagine a life that you without the internet where you're sitting now. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Now imagine the difference that it's made in terms of reach, potential, capacity. And I think, you know, that's the arena where we want to play. And because we have to have a data point to see what's going on with the operations, we have to have a data point to see what's going on with our security. We might as well increase the capacity of that so that our surrounding community, certain people from that community can log into that and, uh, and not have to, you know, walk two or three kilometers to go to school, actually have access to some high-quality material right there to prepare themselves, to equip themselves. Okay, so I think it could be big. Yeah, so basically, you're talking about online learning, helping people be equipped with life skills and educational skills to advance, advance their, them, themselves. That, that, that's what you're focused on. But you, why, why, why are you kind of conflating the, the ability to do data in the business and data for the community? Those are separate issues, aren't they? Well, not really. It's the it's the availability of infrastructure. Remember, uh, you, you go onto the uh, a, uh, it's, it's Wi-Fi. So if you go onto a, a cell phone network, then you've got to pay for it. But if there's a, a Wi-Fi hotspot, which is essentially what we're establishing in order to communicate with God. our, uh, then, then then you can log into that. Okay, fantastic. Um, we we should finish we should finish off for for, for shareholders. Again, it's a little bit more of the macro here slightly in the sense that I think we've established that no one quite knows what's going on with gold price with, with the markets at the moment. Um, your message to your shareholders and people perhaps looking at you is is what? Look, I, as I said earlier, I think the, the, the market seems to, you know, I get a sense that we're not being sold down in anticipation of a lowering of the gold price. On the other end, also, I think that the market's marking time in terms of gold price. You have sort of a five, eight percent variation either way. Smaller in gold price, but but higher in, in our share price because it's a bit of a multiple. So, depending on what your uh, what your uh, strategy is, your investment strategy is, um, I think the you know I think that the share um, some some of our shareholders are, are taking profit. Obviously, if you had bought the share at two rand or three rand, then there's a solid margin. If the gold price is going to stay where it currently is, in other words, if the market is marking time, then 
I, I don't think it would uh, raise the eyebrows. In, in fact, I've, I've taken a bit of, uh, of, uh, of profit uh, as well as uh, uh, some of the other investors that I know. Uh, but then again, um, the the business is positioned to take advantage of the gold price if it's going to go north. And uh, I suppose, you know, if you're a gold bull like me, it's not a matter of, of if, it's, it's a matter of when. It's, uh, it's when, you know, one sentiment gets displaced by another. If we move away from some of these other investment opportunities back to what I believe represents true and fundamental value, namely a tangible piece of gold. Tell me this, you've now got an owner, right? So you're not, you're not in the driving seat so much anymore. So have you still got that hunger, ambition yourself to move things forward with DRD? I think our relationship with, with Savannah Stillwater is a redefine the future for DRD Gold. It's turned it into something that if you, if you do it right, if you don't make a mess of it, uh, could be exceptional. Um, so it also basically redefines your career. Uh, your career is no longer just a matter of, you know, developing the assets that you currently have in your portfolio. Your career has now been turning to something that requires of you to align with a broader, uh, macro strategy that has huge amount of, uh, of, of opportunities and, 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 and also the degree of tension that comes with it because you don't want to, you don't want to mess it up. But are those the sorts of things that attract you, or did you did you like the excitement of starting a business and building a business? Are you attracted by what the Sabanier opportunity could mean for you going forward? Yes. Look, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what it what it could or could mean for me. I've been doing this now for probably close to thirteen years, so you know, that's when when most uh, people in my position start thinking of doing maybe something else. A lot of them start thinking about doing something else a lot sooner. Uh, I look at it almost, uh, and, and maybe it's, it's a carryover from my my former career, but I look at it as a brief. You know, your brief is to optimize that which is placed uh, under under your control, under your custodianship. And um, if you just look at the the potential for optimization, the opportunities that are out there, this is an exceptionally wide brief. It's one that I can completely reconcile myself with. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, provided that the if, if the opportunity is there for us to do this, me and me and the members of uh, of, of the of our team, uh, we we quite keen to do it. We we haven't arrived, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. I think we've only started. the The introduction's been written, and I think we're sort of halfway through paragraph of page, you know, halfway through chapter one. But there, there are loads of loads of uh, chapters that are that could still be written in this story. Fantastic. Well, do come back on and uh, talk to us about chapter two, uh, three, four, and five. I uh, appreciate your time today, uh, Niel. Uh, as always, fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much, Matthew. Appreciate the opportunity and all the best to you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.